All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen by those of you joining with us virtually. Thanks for uh, being a part of this, uh, this Sunday's service. My name is Adam Siddler. I'm the senior pastor here. And if we haven't yet met, I would love an opportunity to do just that. Uh, not only if we haven't met, but if you haven't yet uh, gotten together with Pastor Don and myself in the Restless Child Room after the service to learn more about North Haven, I want to invite you to do that. Uh, the two of us are going to be in that area you can walk out through here at the end of the service, or you can swing around the back. Uh, there'll be donuts and coffee. And we'll just sit for uh, about 10, 15 minutes and talk about North Haven, um, answer whatever questions you might have. So right after the service, join us in that space. Now, if you're joining with us virtually, you can still do some semblance of that. Uh, you just click on that prayer button, and uh, there will be a, a confidential uh, interaction that you'll have with our host. And you can ask, hey, I'd love to be able to either meet or talk with Pastor Adam or Pastor Don, and we will get in touch with you this week. So uh, take advantage of either of those options. Also, I want to just highlight the connected families bit that uh, Pastor Aaron talked about, and just want to stress that that's also for grandparents, it's for aunts, aunts and uncles, it's for uh, those of you that don't have kids yet, and you're thinking of preparing yourselves for that. Uh, this, this connected families experience is a great thing for anybody to be a part of. I've had relationships with this organization now for almost nine years, and they do uh, just a fantastic job in... Uh, um, connecting people to one another. So uh, consider being a part of that. And then um, last bit of information. First of all, we had a, um, uh, a really meaningful time together uh, for those that were here for uh, Michael Swanson's memorial service and remembering him and the life that uh, legacy that he left. Um, and we are also going to have another opportunity to uh, recognize somebody this Friday, Mac Nettleton. We're going to have a memorial service for him. Uh, some of you know Mac. He's been a part of this church for quite a while. He passed away recently. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a service this Friday. 9.30 a.m. is the visitation here at the church. And then 11 o'clock is the memorial service followed by a reception at noon. Uh, if you knew Mac or if you know the family, um, I will invite you to be a part of that. Uh, it should be a... Um, uh, a meaningful experience. All right. Well, we um, are in the throes of a series that we're calling To the Ends of the Earth. We are in our eighth week. I mean, I can't believe that, honestly. We're in our eighth week of a 50-week series. And if you haven't heard that yet, yes, that is right. I didn't, I didn't miss quotes or anything. 50 weeks, we are committing to the book of Acts. Acts is in the Bible. Many of you know that in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And it tells the story of the early church and the early followers of Jesus. And so we're looking at that over the course of this year, 2022, and then reflecting on how do we measure up as believers ourselves or uh, as, the, as a church, as North Haven Church, in light of what God's ideal church was meant to be. And really quick, I just want to uh, kind of get us caught up with where we're at. Uh, so a lot's transpired. We're still in chapter 4 of Acts. And basically, all you need to really know is this. So we're just a few months removed from Jesus having been tortured and 
crucified and then rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven. All right? Jesus, after he rose from the dead, was around for a period of days where his followers were able to be with him and witness him. And then they witnessed him ascending into heaven. And then after that transpired, the Holy Spirit came down, the Holy Spirit, this helper that was promised, came down and indwelled within the believers. And so now the Bible tells us that when you and I become saved, when we make that decision to follow Jesus and make him the leader of our lives, we're not only saved, but we also receive the Holy Spirit at that time. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That happens in chapter 2 of Acts. And then Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples that follow them around like little puppy dogs over the course of his ministry, they now are quintessential leaders of this church. And as leaders, they do two things that gets them into trouble. The first thing that they do is they heal a lame man that couldn't walk, couldn't walk at all. And they not only heal him, but this lame man just parades around everybody and everyone sees that he was not only lame one second, but now he can walk. They do that, and Peter preaches about Jesus, the Son of God, then having risen from the dead. Well, that gets them into hot water, and they get arrested by Jewish officials, and the next day, they get put in front of this kangaroo court, and they get accused and threatened. So the Jewish officials basically tell them, do not do not talk about this Jesus. Do not mention that he's the Son of God, and do not talk about him rising from the dead. So that's where we are at right now in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. That's what we're going to be looking at. But before we do that, I want to set the stage. So there was a lot of things that had happened in this short amount of time that were concerning to the followers of Jesus. Now, first of all, Jesus himself, as I mentioned, was, was not only arrested, but then he was accused, he was tortured, and then executed. Yes, he was a son of God. Yes, he rose from the dead. But that doesn't change the fact that he still was subjected to this horrifying experience. I mean, that, that alone, the, the details of the crucifixion are so gruesome uh, that it, would de- it was meant to deter anybody from doing whatever it is that the person who was being crucified did. So in this instance, Jesus was crucified for saying that he was God, essentially. And so now the followers of Jesus, they are also uh, talking about Jesus being God. They're talking about him having risen from the dead. The very same thing that caused Jesus to be arrested, tortured, and executed is now a possibility for them. And Peter and John, two of their prominent leaders, have just been arrested. They've just been arrested, accused, and threatened. And this is one thing we forget when we look at these interactions and these stories is, again, we are only months removed from Jesus having been crucified. And so the same Jewish officials that had arrested Peter that had uh, Peter and John and had put them in jail and then accused them and threatened them, yes, they let them go, but those same Jewish officials 
are some of the same Jewish officials that arrested Jesus, that accused Jesus, that made sure that he was tortured and executed. This wasn't years later. This was months later. And so here it is. Peter and John, they come and they share with the followers of Jesus what transpired, what just transpired. And so now in their mind, they know that Jesus, their Savior, the Messiah, was just arrested and accused and tortured and executed. Yes, he rose from the dead, but still, I don't want that to happen to me. And then their, their other leaders, Peter and John, have just been arrested and accused and threatened by those same Jewish officials. And so my question to you is, if we were in that situation, if we were the followers of Jesus that Peter and John came to, to share all this information, how would we respond? What would be some of the things that would be rolling around in our minds? Well, let's look at how the early followers of Jesus responded when they heard this news from Peter and John, starting with verse 23 in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is their prayer. They said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All right. So that's where we stand here. The first thing that I want to point to is look at what the followers of Jesus immediately did upon hearing Peter and John's account of what just happened to them. What was the very first thing that they did? They prayed. That was their immediate response. God wasn't the last resort. He was the first resource. We see this in verse 24. We just read this. When they heard this, when they heard Peter and John's account, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Immediate response. We have a situation. We have some concerns. We're going to go straight to the source. We're going to go straight to God himself. Not only was their first thing to do pray, but then in their prayer, look at what they did in the second half of verse 24. It says, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, this this term that they give God here is really important. 
sovereign Lord. Now, that word is a Greek word. I mean, it's, it was all Greek, right? Um, no pun intended. Um, but it was, all, it was written in ancient Greek, the New Testament. And so when we consider words, we have to consider the original language. And the Greek word for this word in their prayer is the word despotes, despotes. Now, this, this word despotes has a specific meaning. It basically means ruler, most powerful king. But the main thing that we need to note here is that the followers of Jesus in this passage, they, they are using sovereign Lord not as an adjective, but as a noun. Why does that make a difference? They're not using the term sovereign Lord as an adjective as I would if I described my dog as a happy dog. Rather, they're using sovereign Lord as a noun. So sovereign Lord is the name that the followers of Jesus give to God as a means of describing who he is, not what he is. A noun is a type of word someone uses to describe the nature of something, to state the nature of something or someone. And so to use sovereign Lord in this instance is not about describing what God is, but instead who God is in that who he is in his nature. Sovereign Lord, above and in control of all things, That's not just what you do, that is who you are. And next, the next thing that they do in their prayers is absolutely astounding when you consider that they have just received the Holy Spirit very soon before this had ever happened, and they already have a clear understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit, and then the role that we have in light of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In verse 25 of Acts chapter 4, it says this, you spoke by the Holy Spirit, you God spoke by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So here we clearly see that the early fathers of Jesus understood that it is the Holy Spirit who inspires and that humankind is then the instrument used to reveal that inspiration. God uses the Holy Spirit to inspire people to find and to follow him, and we then are the instrument used to make that inspiration known. And then in, in uh, verses 25 through 26, then there's this, um, this mention of a passage in reference to Psalm 2, which I think is actually very telling when it refers to us today. Because not only are we seeing that the early followers of Jesus, when presented with difficulty, when presented with with, uh, persecution or danger, whatever the case may be, they responded first by praying, right? And then recognizing the sovereignty of the Lord. But then what do they also do? They reference, they recognize the role of Scripture in their lives, 
This quote that they use here in uh, the second half of 25 and 26, this is taken from Psalm 2 in the Old Testament, which would have been their Bible essentially back then. It says, why do the nations rage? This is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Basically here, the, the, the point that they're making is, is just to point out the ridiculousness and futile nature of mere mortal humankind making plans despite God's plans. In that it is God who, himself who made and sustains all things and humankind cannot get the upper hand on God. There is a God and we are not him. And then in verse 29, this is really where we get to the crux of what it is that we're looking at here today. Verses 29 through 31, it says this. In their prayer, they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats, the threats and the dangers that we have been experiencing, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then spoke the word of God boldly. Now, understand this, and I think this is important to point out. If you look at this passage here, they're not oblivious to the threats, right? They're not living life carelessly as if those threats don't exist. They recognize the threats, they recognize the danger, they recognize the persecution, but who are they giving that to? They're giving that to God. They're giving that to the Lord. Lord, you consider these threats, okay? You take these threats. But notice what the followers of Jesus did not pray for. What did they not pray for? Now, if we were in this situation, and we've done this, I've done this, you know, we, we here in, in this part of the world, we do not experience the extent of the persecution that the early church here in this uh, setting and situation had been experiencing. Uh, it is hard for us to understand the breadth uh, and expanse of that kind of persecution. But there are people in the world who do experience the extent of that. Um, and, and we have been made known uh, of those things. And you may have prayed about those people in those situations. Now, when we pray, what are things that we pray for? Safety. Needs are met. Deliverance from the persecution, or that it would end. So we pray for safety. We pray for a protection. We pray that our needs would be met. We pray that, that we'd be delivered from it in some way. Now, those are well-meaning prayers. And I think that we've, we've gotten ourselves convinced, I know I have in the past, that, that those are the prayers that are necessary in light of that kind of danger and persecution. But what do we see here? We see something actually quite different. What, 
What does it say again in verse 29? It says, now, Lord, consider their threats. You take them and then enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Guys, that's insane. It's insane. They're literally saying, enable us to be able to speak the truth of Jesus, the Son of God who rose from the dead and provides life everlasting. Give us more boldness to say that knowing that it's going to increase the danger. Knowing it's going to increase the persecution. They weren't praying to get rid of it. They weren't praying for safety. They weren't praying for protection. Rather, they understood that this was part of the deal. And then look at the previous passage again, if we can get that up on the screen. What does it say? It says, stretch out your hand then to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Who is doing the miraculous work? God, through humankind. Humankind who are then empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what the whole book of Acts is all about, right? That's what we've been saying. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. There's another important thing um, that, that they did um, when they prayed. We're going to skip forward a little bit here. Another aspect of this Look again at verse 24 of chapter 4. Verse 24 of chapter 4 when it says this. When they heard this, when they heard what Peter and John were saying about the arrest and the accusations and the threat, in light, under the shadow of Jesus himself having been arrested and, uh, and, and tortured and killed just months before, When they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer, yes, but together, together. See, we cannot go through this alone. Yes, the sovereignty of the Lord needs to be proclaimed. God is in control, but he also created us in community. He created us in such a way that we literally need one another. We needed one another for love and support and encouragement. And, and there is an important ministry that, that honestly, we, we haven't been talking enough about. A ministry in which we literally took a, a number of individuals here at the church through an exhaustive uh, training period that equipped and enabled them to be Stephen ministers. Stephen Ministers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, equipped and trained and called here at North Haven Church to walk one-on-one with other people who are in desperate need, who are in their darkest hour, who are struggling with things that seem rather overwhelming. And what I want to do is I want to invite you to express interest in that. 
So we've done this before. This phone number that you see on the screen, this is a number that's only North Haven's. So I won't be selling you any knives or anything like that. And all I'm asking you to do is if you think you might benefit from walking through whatever is going on in your life, walking with another person who not only has the training and the expertise, but also is called and has the giftedness to walk with you, then I want to ask you to text that number that you see in the screen, the word CARE. Text that number, the word CARE. We're going to leave that on the screen here for a few minutes so you can think about that process it, write it down. Um, but this is an important thing for us to uh, consider as we go through the process of doing this together. The, the, uh, the message is clear here in this passage. Given the situation at hand that the followers of Jesus had every reason Yes, to be afraid, of course. Yes, to be concerned for their well-being. But they had every reason then to turn to God and to say, God, protect us. Keep us safe. Deliver us from this persecution. That's not what they prayed. They prayed for more boldness that would in turn increase the persecution They weren't masochists. But they were so committed and sold out for the message of Jesus Christ that it was worth it. It was worth it. It shouldn't come as a surprise that the early followers of Jesus made prayer a cornerstone of their ministry. Amazing things happened because they committed themselves to prayer. Remember in Acts chapter 2, or rather in Acts chapter 1, it said that they prayed together consistently. And what happened as a result of that prayer? The Holy Spirit came down. Not only the Holy Spirit come down and indwell within the followers, but then also 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as a result of that prayer. And then what happens again? It says when they pray that when they prayed in this instance that the whole place in which they were in, it shook. It's as if God's saying, hey, I got this, okay? You're, you're good in my hands because I'm here and I'm God. It's who I am. And what happened as a result? The Holy Spirit was stirred within them, it says, and they were able to preach Jesus Son of God, risen Savior, with even more boldness. And as we now see, lives, countless lives have been changed because of the message of Jesus. Now, you may not be experiencing the same level of persecution, you know, the same level of danger that these early followers of Jesus were, but here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you made the decision to follow him and make him the leader of your life, you are saved. You are are saved by the grace of God. Yet, we sometimes struggle to just simply tell others about Jesus 
others who aren't in any way even upset with us, who have no beef with us whatsoever, who may even be generally interested in understanding or knowing more about the hope that we have to author you. Yet, we still struggle with speaking boldly about Jesus. Man, I was talking to someone after the service, and as I was talking to them, I, I, I said, you know, this the going through Acts so far has been, has been really challenging for me. Because it's, it's, it's putting up a, a, a measurement of what it means to follow Jesus, not be saved by him, because we're saved by grace. That's unmerited favor. That's the, the beauty of the cross. But to be a follower of Jesus, to actually walk in step with him, we're seeing a measurement of that. And man, I do not want to fall short of that. Over the course of this series, after every Sunday, after every service, we are saying this creed together uh, that you see on the screen now. And uh, let's read this together as we close out our time. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. He will give, we will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.